You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God, mind control, the last days, higher dimensions, unity, the power of faith, discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com and, of course, at www.thefireplacechurch.org. We have a lot going on at Bride Ministries. If you haven't listened to us very long, let me tell you something. We're doing a lot. We are doing a lot. And you know what? We're excited about all of it. A brief rundown. We run the Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall podcast, which goes all over the internet through various streams and avenues. We run the Fireplace Church, which runs every Friday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, which is the first internet-based ministry service that we know of to produce an actual worship service including um, music and a sermon produced with um, excellence I mean and 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 then followed by actual live moderated discussion groups and all part of the same experience. Folks, this is a revolutionary concept. We built it, and it is there for you. We invite you to come be part of our body. Folks, something really excited to know about. Going into the month of August, at some point, we'll be actually adding a new evening to the Fireplace Church. Right now, we're running Friday evenings only at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, When we get into the month of August at some point, probably later on in the month, closer to September so we can um, get everything worked out. We'll be moving to two nights a week where we'll offer a Friday night service. And also for everyone that can't make it on the Friday night services but would love to be part of what we have built, we'll, we'll run a Sunday night service as well. And both will have groups and we'll air the same message twice. 
every week so um, we can get more people involved. Folks, uh, in addition to that, we are traveling. Uh, I was in Houston last weekend. It was just a great time. Uh, the, the word of the kingdom is powerful. And the Broad Ministries, we're all about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, it's literally the only thing I'm preaching at the Fireplace Church at the moment. We also run discipleship groups. If you have taken a spiritual warfare class through Bride Ministries Discipleship, you were invited to be part of the Advanced Spiritual Warfare Class all-day seminar this Saturday. Now, if you didn't take a spiritual warfare class through Bride Ministries, you weren't invited. We're only opening this one up to those that have taken a spiritual warfare class because it's just... Uh, necessary that those that are sitting through what we're going to be going through have some foundation. There will be future advanced spiritual warfare classes. So if you want to have those available to you, you're going to have to get on board with our discipleship course, Spiritual Warfare. Now, we offer four discipleship courses, all of which are amazing. Uh, We have so many testimonies that have come back to us from the benefits that people have received by signing up for and participating in bride discipleship. Our four classes are grace, in Christ, the kingdom, and spiritual warfare. That's open to everyone, and you can sign up for any of those, or all of them. An email will be going out in the next few days. So that all of you that have, you know, written us a letter saying, hey, I'd like to be on your discipleship waiting list, which there are hundreds of you that have done that. You're going to be getting an email from us in the next few days, and you'll be able to sign up just by clicking where it says click here on the class you want to take. It's very exciting. Um, Another exciting thing is that we're thinking about at some point in the future turning some of the classes into a weekend two-day seminar versus an eight-week course that is a two-month commitment and, you know, offering them in both formats. We're actually looking at doing that and maybe even doing some conferencing with the discipleship materials. And, uh, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and say this here. You know, I, I really believe that... You know, traveling is is going to be increasing for me. I I, I just don't um, see that the ministry is going to stay uh, internet only. That there's going to be some um, groups that just want to have some of this material presented. Look, um, we'll be converting a lot of these uh, discipleship courses into two day uh, trainings. And if you have a local body that you think would be interested. In receiving a two-day training with me, um, you know, just write us in and let us know that there's some interest there. And that way we can begin to gauge, you know, how, how much effort we should put into going in this direction or if this is something that we should just table from, you know, later on. You know, just gauging interest. If you think that this is something, you know, write us a letter. Let us know. Nikki, my administrative assistant, will uh, definitely respond to your email and um, let me know and... Uh, yeah, we are just looking at, at, at growth and expansion, folks, in every direction. I mean, not only do we have the discipleship groups, of course, we are continuing to help survivors of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control agendas. The ministry underwrites the help of people that otherwise could not afford to get their own help. And there have been people on our program, like Carolyn, like 
Robert Van Dreist Mitchell, like Elena. I mean, they are healing because of you. They are getting help because of you. They are healing because of your generosity. And I'll tell you what, there are others that have not come on the program, but are benefiting nonetheless. And Bride Ministries, I'll tell you what, we are doing a lot. And with the church and um, everything that that is costing us to continue to run that week after week, uh, you know, we're just praising God that those of you that follow us have really been stepping up to the plate. We are going forward and not backwards, folks. We are continuing to expand. And every time our budget increases, because more people are jumping on board with us financially, we are expanding in another direction. Now we're offering DID support groups to the survivors that are associated or working with coaches that are associated with Bride Ministries. That's a whole new avenue of ministry that we've opened up. And, and, and we're just continuing to roll out more and more. We actually have plans to institute uh, prayer ministry because we get a lot of emails. From people like, hey, can I get prayer for this? Can I get prayer for that? Can I get prayer for, you know, um, we're trying to figure out ways to offer that to you. Have someone that is going to pray um, with you. Uh, so so we're, we're looking creative to, creatively at, you know, how, how many directions can we expand this ministry to meet the need that is being presented to us? Because um, we are interested in expanding the kingdom of God and his influence into the hearts of men and women. So, folks, um, in another uh, week and a half, I'll be traveling to Australia. I am going to be very, very... Uh, uh, blessed <laughs> to have your prayers uh we're we're, we're expecting some big things um from this trip really really exciting stuff and you know i'll be gone for two weeks during the weeks i'm gone discovering the truth with dan Duvall and the fireplace church will continue to run in my absence uh we are recording programs in advance so those of you that thought you know oh is dan Duvall ditching us for two weeks what am i going to do without my discovering the truth with dan Duvall? you're not going to have to worry about that folks i got you covered we got it we got it under control at bride ministries now with that said i have a couple books you can get them on my website uh, bridemovement.com or at the fireplacechurch.org and other places as well kingdom government and the promise of sheep nations noah's ark in the end of days higher dimensions parallel dimensions in the spirit realm if you haven't got your hands on those i, I want to encourage you really it's a ton of it's just a ton folks i mean these books are loaded jam packed and um i have a really awesome guest today I am going to be talking with Dr. C.R. Oliver on his new book. He's going to be with me in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall.
folks, today on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, we are back with my good friend, Dr. C.R. Oliver. And every time Dr. Oliver comes on my program, it is just a firework display of the glory and fire of God. This gentleman is profound in just about everything he says. I, I just so respect him. And it can definitely say of Dr. C.R. Oliver that he is a true father in the faith. Now, he's written a lot of books, and I've had him on my program to talk about uh, more recently one he had written a while back called Solomon's Secret. And today, we are actually going to be getting into a new book of his that he just wrote, and it's called The Road to Captivity. And folks, you can visit him at www.zadikpublications.com, which is his website where you can find all his books as well as all kinds of other information about his ministry. Dr. Oliver, welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. It's nice to be among friends. And bless you, my brother. Well, I really bless Jeremiah because the book is based on a verse-by-verse commentary of the book of Jeremiah. He wrote his own book, so to speak, the flying scroll that was talked about in Zechariah. And uh, he does a beautiful job of showing the road to captivity, what Israel did, actually what Judah and Benjamin and part of Levi did to bring them down to the road of demise and destruction and finally the burning of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple and the houses of the people and carried away captive by the thousands. It was a terrible blood sign, but Nebuchadnezzar spared him. Believe it or not, he was castigated by his own people. Actually, he was in prison the day all of his prophecies came true. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, a king of a thousand miles away, knew of him, instructed his major general to let him go out of any prison he was in and to give him freedom of the land travel anywhere he wanted to go. What a marvelous testimony that God provides for his people. Mm. Well, Dr. Oliver, that's why we have you here to talk about the story of Jeremiah. And and folks, The Road to Captivity, th- this book is really good. And it is a commentary on basically the whole book of Jeremiah. And I'll tell you what, when I was in Bible school um, years ago, I remember reading through the book of Jeremiah, and it, it, man, it got me fired up. That, that is one passionate, powerful, profound book. And this book, The Road to Captivity, that our guest has written, is the first commentary on the book of Jeremiah I've ever read as a book. I mean, it's... and. and I'll tell you what, I've been really, really enjoying it, Dr. Oliver. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to um, invite you to begin to walk us into this work. Well, it's a tremendous volume. There's a lot of, in my book, is 12 chapters. And each of them takes a segment of the book of Jeremiah. And what happens here is that I believe if you were to look at the text that I have, you will not find many of those as sermon material because a lot of people think it's too harsh for the modern standard. Well, it wasn't exactly 
uh, easy for those days in which Jeremiah was living either. He prophesied for 26 years. And in that 26 years, he was under five different kings. Two of those kings only reigned three months each. But Jehoiakim for 11 years, of course, followed Josiah, who was a good king, and Jehoiakim was not a good king, and who, whose, minute, whose uh, kingship was followed by Zedekiah, by the way of whom I am blood kin in some respects, through the Plantagenes. So I don't hold that as a good honor. I just know that that's a fact. He was a king during the time of the actual captivity when Nebuchadnezzar came from the, what is now called Iraq and conquered them and burned the city and caused all kinds of consternation because of it. He, he, he was very smooth, though. He left the poor people and the ignorant people, gave them land, and released uh, Jeremiah so that he wouldn't have to go through prison time anymore because his own people imprisoned him, and he was the grandfather of Zedekiah. In other words, Jeremiah was kin to the king that put him in prison. And this book talks about what goes on in society, what goes on in the church, what goes on in government, what goes on to create a national mind. So the premise of the book is simple. We bring in the psychological and the sociological aspects of how a nation, as they digress and digress and digress and leave God, how they do it systematically, how they do it through their own choices, what choices they make and what they should have made, who made them, how the power elite works. You know, it's an interesting thing to know that kings, priests, prophets, those people who are leaders of the tribes of Israel, all of them stood at fault at point time. And Jeremiah had a word for each one of them. What this book actually says is this. A nation cannot do what Judah did without garnering the same result that they received. Otherwise, God would be unjust. So if your nation or this nation of the United States where I live, if we do those things that were prohibited by God or that led to the demise of Judah and Benjamin and what was left of the southern kingdom, if we do those things, we're going to get the same results. That's basically it. So this book examines exactly how those things occurred in their uh, government and in their religion and in their social life, what choices they made, and we gleaned the, even the nuances that motivated the change, what the people were thinking, why they thought that way, how they got so deceived. You know, Jeremiah was a prophet. We, we say, well, it's wonderful to be a prophet. Well, it wasn't so much so in Jeremiah's day. There were literally hundreds of prophets living in and around Jerusalem. And they were blabbermouthing constantly to the king and to the leaders and to the chief priest and all these others. But Jeremiah said that he knew from God's own words that he was the only one who had the true message of God, that these people were prophesying out of their own mind and their own reason, and they were getting it wrong and deceiving the people and causing him great difficulty. Now that's going on today. 
it doesn't take long for a spiritual person to look around the scene and realize that that is what's happening. People are moving in religious circles today that are based on their own reasoning and their own outlook of what circumstances are. Now, the book I have gotten here before me is arranged verse by verse along with the scriptures. And the interesting thing about it is I put the scripture in with the comment so that you don't have to go back and forth looking at the scripture and the scripture base of the Bible and then back to the commentary. You lose your place sometimes. And besides that, there's a, a force, a power that occurs when you begin to intermingle with those things the Word of God has to say and begin to put them in your own life. The book is basically a group study. I'm going to be doing workbooks with it. I'm going to have Bible study arenas where each person, each group can take these 12 chapters and study them one a month for a whole year. Or they can take it in four segments each chapter. It will be easily divided in those four sections so that you can take a portion a week and then come away with a Bible study where you can garner what was going on in that time. Now, every Bible place, every Bible name is explored. Word studies are included. I explore the economy, the government, the religion, and I illustrate with comments and quotes from other people how these things affect their nation. I'm just going to begin. Please and I'm going do. to tell you there is such a thing, Jack Daniel, and I'm glad you're still there. Mm -hmm. Chime in every once in a while if you like. <laughs> when the national mind is evil and finally expresses itself in terms of a single national will, then God usually brings about some sort of judgment and brings that nation to its knees and has little compunction about doing it. See, there's the thing. They didn't believe. They said, we're God's people. That's not going to happen to us. We're, we're special. We've got a special nation, and we, we've been chosen. We're chosen God. We're God's chosen people. We're, we're not subject to all the things you're telling us, Jeremiah. But they were. And there came a time in Judah when God even said, I prohibit you, Jeremiah, to even pray an intercessory prayer for them. I will not hear it. And if they pray a prayer, I will not hear it. I will only turn my back to them. Now, that's a terrible place to be. Nobody wants to be there. No nation wants to be there. And yet we have a nation that approximates in so many areas already, not all of them, but in so many areas, that it stops us for a moment and says, look, we better reconsider where we are, who we vote for, who our lives go around, who we associate with. For we must wake up to the fact that we're deceiving ourselves many times and realize that God is seen through the charades of religion that we have and what is coming is real and is sanctioned by him. I'm talking about he's in favor of it. He can't allow these things to continue. You know, in verse 22 of chapter 4 in Jeremiah, it says, For my people are foolish. They have not known me. Now, there's an interesting thing. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. 
You see, the unwillingness to take responsibility makes him a little child. And that unwillingness is what caused the prophet to rise up and begin to speak to them over a 26-year period. They had plenty of time to repent. But they rejected and rejected and rejected the message of God until there was no other message. You see, God gave Jeremiah a mandate. And I don't believe in speaking until you have a mandate. I had a mandate to write this book. I believe this book, if it were in the hands of executives or in the hands of people of political power or in the power elite of the church, I believe it would make a difference in their lives. They at least couldn't say I'm ignorant of the fact. Jeremiah was told by God, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. There wasn't a more powerful person in all of the world than Jeremiah. And yet there wasn't a more humble one. He was called the weeping prophet. I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar is what God told him. He had to be. He had to be like Ezekiel with a forehead of iron, like a rock. He had to be stubborn and hard-headed because there are enough people who will try the soul and spirit of the man of God that there will come a time that that man of God will become discouraged if he didn't have the mandate of heaven. There was a time when Israel was somebody with God. And Jeremiah tells them this. In the second chapter, he tells them, I rem speaking from God's point of view, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase, and all that devour him will offend, and disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. In other words, I'm going to punish those that punish you, but I'm getting ready to send somebody that will. Because your has been. Israel was holiness. You know, the nation of the, of, uh, that we live in was a holy nation at one time, was a nation based on the foundation of, of spiritual things and the Christian and the Reformation. But is it now? That's the question. The Bible says that when you entered into my land, which was the land of Israel, and made my heritage an abomination, ooh, the priest did not say, where is the Lord in all of this? And those who handled the law did not know me to begin with. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Could that be said of us today? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, may I say, that can hold no water. Now that's the voice of God in the second chapter of Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Two things, he said, and all through this book that, that I have, I point out those things that are the one, two, threes that God lays out. God didn't get a heavy, concentrated message that couldn't be understood by the public. He made it clear. Jeremiah was oftentimes called on to do strange things take a sash that it was normally worn around the waist and bury it 
and then dig it back up and show this sash is no longer good for anything, and that's exactly what the government is. <laughs> he was sent to a pottery factory, told find a pottery flask that's there, and then just break it on the tile floor and tell the people that they're already broken and they don't they may not know it yet there may be cracks in their seams that they haven't looked at but they are broken and they need to repent if god were to put them together you know the lord called them a lot of things i don't believe any of them would stand up much in the churches today if i were to walk in the modern pulpit and quote one verse out of jeremiah they would throw me out the long hook would be out grabbing me around the waist and pulling me off the platform. And I'm going to read it to you. Have you not brought this on yourself? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will reprove you. For the fear of the Lord is not in you. I have planted you as a noble vine, and you've turned before me and in front of me to become a degenerate plant of an alien vine. Your iniquity is marked before me saith the lord now let that be the sermon text for the next sunday service see how many people stay in the congregation the next week or how many of them start writing emails and saying what's gone wrong with our pastor well he just preached the word and i don't think there's a church in america that can say well we're a word church and not preach the whole substance of the power of jeremiah to their congregation Jesus said, I am the true vine. Jeremiah said, you're a degenerate plant of an alien vine. And I'm telling you, when Jesus came on the scene, he had a lot of correcting to do. Because these people had gone through not only this captivity, but had come out on the other side of it, still not humble enough to hear the word of God from the true man of God. I'm going to read you a quote from Charles Finney, and I'm going to tell you that America has been on this road since 1825. Charles Finney was preaching in Boston, Massachusetts in 1825. It was cold weather, but they were having meetings night after night. This is what he wrote in his diary. I have found that nowhere can I preach those truths on which my own soul delights to live and they be understood, except it be for a very small number. Later on he wrote, The people that I preach to in my churches are utterly incapable of apprehending and appreciating what I regard as the most precious truths of the gospel of my God. That was in 1825. Ladies and gentlemen, where are we today? What is the substance that you're receiving in your congregation? Well, the answer that was received by Jeremiah from that message was this. Wholesale, the people of God in that day said, I'm not polluted. We've not, we've not done anything wrong. I can't find where we've done anything wrong. They said, we are lords to our God. We've been told that we have authority on the earth. Well, I'm innocent. We have not sinned. In spite of what God said, they said they weren't, they weren't guilty. They refused to see themselves as they were, and so God called them harlots. 
He said, you have a harlot's forehead, which means haughty and worldly-wise and rebellious and self-service and, and experienced in deception and agendized and immoral at the base. You have a harlot's forehead because you have a harlot's mind. The national mind had eroded until the national expression was that of evil. What is the national mind of America? What is the national mind of Europe? What is the national mind of Africa? What is the national mind of the nations today? Jeremiah said, Then the Lord said to me, Say to them, Backsliding Israel, you have shown yourself more righteous than, more righteous than treacherous Judah. In other words, what he was saying is in when the ten tribes had not gone away yet, they became unrighteous, and God allowed the Assyrians to take them off in captivity, spread them throughout the Caucasus area and throughout Europe. Some of them became kinfolks to people like myself. But to them in the southern kingdom, they were supposed to be holy to the Lord. They had the temple. They had Jerusalem and the walls of it. But he said, you're more treacherous than them. Go and proclaim these words. Return, backsliding Israel. You're more righteous than these. Oh boy, Jeremiah's people didn't want to hear that. You've got to remember that God gave them an if-then clause. If you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And there are many if-then clauses in Jeremiah. If you will do this, I will do this. If you will repent and come back to me, was one of the messages Jeremiah preached. I will change my mind and not bring upon you what I have planned. But what was their response? We're not guilty of anything. How can we repent? We haven't done anything wrong. How should we repent? So he, com he commands them, break up the fallow ground. Do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskin of your heart. Become something deeper than you are rather than the deep-set sin. For your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. It means you've bought them. By doing what you're doing and continually doing it, in front of me and calling it religion, calling it my people, you have bought yourself a program that you really don't want to see unfolded. This is your wickedness because it is bitter because it reaches to your heart. That's how deep the sin is. In Jeremiah 4.28 it says, Because I have spoken... I have purposed, and I will not relent, neither will I turn back from it, saith the Lord. Wow. wow you know, we, st we stand in a terrible place in America and the rest of the world right now. It is a terrible place because we have, a, we have the power to turn around yet. We have the power to yet repent. But most of the people that I see, sadly, have not taken this kind of message to heart. The Lord told Jeremiah, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Just look, see, and know, and seek in their open places. 
if you can find a single man, if there is just anyone who seeks the truth, and I'll pardon Jerusalem. Now, <laughs> that was a lower number than for Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he asked Abraham, to go in and try to find ten righteous men there. And Abraham couldn't do it. And so God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And later on in the book of Jeremiah, he called Jerusalem Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I can't find anybody righteous in you. Where does the search go? Who's going to volunteer to be examined? That's the question I ask in the churches today. Who is not living with somebody they're not married to? Who is not guilty of lying and deception? Who is not guilty of standing before God naked and without a prayer life? Who is not guilty of standing and saying, I don't know him really, not really like I should? Oh, there's time for a Baptist get time together. You know, in the Baptist church, it was always a time of renewal when people would come back, you know, and repent and get their life straightened out and all that kind of thing. But we need that again. The altars are closed in our churches. And we need to open them up again for repentance. We need to open up the doctrines that we have and examine them and say, where is it? Jeremiah 5.12 says, They have lied about the Lord and said, It's not him that's talking. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword or famine. Well, you know, the peril of sword and famine, pestilence, sword, and famine, were the three horsemen that God used to overcome them. They died of starvation under that siege under Nebuchadnezzar before they finally acquiesced. And Jeremiah, the whole time, telling them, if you'll just come under his rule, you deserve, you bought what you're paying for now. If you'll just come in under his rule and not fight him, you'll live. But if you resist him, you'll die. You'll perish by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. They didn't believe it, but they did. Then Jeremiah was coming back to God, and he said, Lord, I repent of everything I've tried to do for these people. I quit. There's no way that I can continue this, because every time I mention anything to the king or one of the leaders, are the church people. They want me thrown, beaten and thrown into the prison, and that's where I find myself. Lord, it's a circle. I give your word, and I go to prison. I give your word, I'm beaten and go to prison. I, I'm getting tired of this, Lord. And here's what the Lord said to him, because you speak this word, behold, I'll make my words in your mouth fire, and I'll make this people wood, and your words will devour them. I'm going to tell you this this very afternoon from the depth of my heart if the man of God will stand in the pulpit and preach Jeremiah to his people you won't get through the fifth chapter before repentance comes but a great conflagration will come as well but God will make the people wood and your word fire because it's still alive today how do I know it's alive? <laughs> the Lord told me to go to Curitiba in South Paraná, Brazil. Before I went, a prophetess in Oklahoma, Liz Manning, 
called me by phone and she said, you know, Brother Oliver, I don't know what your schedule is, but it seems to me like the Lord, I've been praying for you, and the Lord has a place he's sending you soon out of this country. And the church you're going to, the congregation you're going to be standing before, Jeremiah 5 will unlock everything about that church. Well, I listened to that, and I was young in the Lord, and I didn't just take, you know, just take that as the word for me. I didn't go down there in the first Sunday and begin preaching Jeremiah 5. Matter of fact, I preached everything but Jeremiah 5 until I got to the last day I was going to be with them. Now, this is a church where seminarians are. This is a congregation a thousand miles south of Rio de Janeiro. This is a flagship church among Baptists. And the people are supposed to be top-notch. There's 1,200 folks in that congregation. And they're all there on Sunday morning to hear this American preacher. And I began to talk and, and, and to preach and only it was Wednesday night. And here I am Wednesday night before I'm to go out to other 10 other churches afterwards. The last time there's a service, and I've prepared Revelation 12 to be preached that night, not Jeremiah 5. And the, and the interpreter, Jose Barbosa, and I had spent hours working on Revelation 12 so that he knew every nuance, every move I was making, so that it would be smooth as the other services had been. We were having a great time. People were being born again. People were rededicating their lives. The church seemed to have revival. But this night when I stood in the pulpit and announced the text, my, my mind said Revelation 12, but my mouth said Jeremiah 5. Jose touched me on the shoulder and he said, uh, have you changed your message? I said, what did I say? You said Jeremiah 5. I said, we're going to preach that. He said, if we haven't prepared that, I said, I know I hadn't either. He said, this is terrible. I said, no, it's not. It's wonderful. He said, what are we going to do? I said, you're going to read Jeremiah 5, the whole chapter, and then I'm going to preach on it. Well, he read the shortest reading I've ever seen in my life, Brother Duval. <laughs> he got through that a lot faster than I thought he would in Portuguese. And I started on verse 1, just an exposition, just saying stuff right out of my heart of what the Holy Ghost put upon me. I didn't get through verse 5 before a man on the second row stood up in the middle of the congregation, right out there in the group, and began screaming and hollering as loud as he could, the sins of my heart, the sins of my heart, forgive me. And he felt like he was dead between two pews. People rushed over to him thinking he had died, but he'd only been slain in the spirit. That was unusual for a Baptist church. It was very unusual for me. I went on. Before that service was over, four hours later, people were weeping, falling in the aisle, on one another's shoulders, asking, begging forgiveness, cleaning their lives up, straightening their lives up. That's why I say the word is fire and the people is wood. Mm. The pastor looked at me at the close of service. He came down to where I was, and he held me in his arms, and he said, Brother, You've touched on every sin in this church that I was afraid to attack. You've touched on all of them, and the repentance is unbelievable. Thank you. Just all I can say is thank you. Thank the lady in Oklahoma. Thank the God who cared. 
Thank the message that lives. Thank the book of Jeremiah that still has power. I think the audience is going to want to read Jeremiah 5 before it's over. No, I think so. Jeremiah 5, verse 10, the God who sealed forever the boundaries of the sea so that they can go no further. Now, he didn't mention anything about global warming and flooding and all those kinds of things. Jeremiah said the sea has a boundary and it won't pass it. But he has decreed another seal. Now, some things are sealed. I wrote a book entitled Sealed Unto His Coming in which I looked at every book in the Bible chapter by chapter and laid out the things God has sealed that will come to pass no matter whether we pray or not. And there's a whole volume of nearly 600 pages of those kind of seals. He said, I've decreed another seal and I've decreed it to a defiant and rebellious people. Take away your branches for they're not the Lord's. Wow. To be sealed into judgment. What an awful tragedy. Well, we, let's look at some things. It's not all bad. We're not all silly children, and we're not all taken down by it. But in the road to captivity, there are certain things that are formed. When the prophetic message becomes apparent to those in charge currently, they will join the persecutors of the saints. Because the temple always joins in with political correctness. And I want us to realize that the power elite, when you hear a word coming from government and from religion that sounds the same, there's a collusion that is not of God. Believe me, it's not of God. All of Jeremiah's words that were spoken by God was spoken in two dimensions. So those persons and communities of around 580 B.C. And then whatever church would rely upon those words all the way through the 20th century will find something for them. In other words, this, this word is just as fresh today as it was in 586 B.C. when they were conquered. Now, I, I'm not saying this is their last chance, but this is one of the times that they were breathing some thin air. <laughs> God does not rescue a nation just because that nation has had his favor in the past. Its present means more than anything else. What is it presently? God said this city must be punished. It's filled with oppression. It pours out sin like water. It pours out its wickedness like water. Violence and destruction resound in her. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the holy city. He's talking about the main, the main congregation. He's talking about the high muckety-mucks. He's talking about where the king lives. He's talking about where the priests reside. He's talking where the Levites do sacrifice. He's talking about a temple that has sacrifice every Sabbath day. He's talking about a people who are supposed to have feasts and honor them and observe them. And he's saying, violence and destruction resound in you and your sickness and wounds are ever before me. Take warning, O Jerusalem. Oh, my Lord.
Let them glean the remnant of Israel as thoroughly as the vine. Now, great mentality overtook Jerusalem. Before it was all over, they were captured in three different levels. There was a first group that came in, stormed them, and overcame them. And they took off the rich people and the wealthy, intelligent people and the folks that were like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and Ezekiel, and those people that had something. They took them and took them back to Babylon. Then they came for another group. They had to fight them because they thought fighting was the only thing that was necessary. And they slew a multitude. And then they got down to a little group. And you see there were groups at each time. The first, the first part of the first third, it went. The second third thought, wow, we missed it. We didn't get captured. We, everything's okay. going to be all right. We just have faith and keep on doing what we're doing. We're going to be all right. And they relied on that. They never repented. They never took the Word of God seriously, but they relied on that. They took on a great mentality. They thought just because the hand reached into the grapevine and took that cluster and left me, he's not coming back. <laughs> well, the hand came back and got them too and then left the poor people and the ignorant people and even those Levites and priests who were ignorant were left. And Jeremiah was glad to be left with them because he was still alive. <laughs> hmm. Jeremiah 6, chapter, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. My note at that point says, band-aids covering bullet holes is not proper treatment. And that's exactly what the prophets and the priests were doing with the people. They were satiating their problems. They were not calling out sin. They were not separating the profane from the, from the real. They were not talking about the vile and the unclean. They did not separate the holy from the unholy. They didn't do what Ezekiel said he saw was the necessary things for the sons of Zadok. They wouldn't even listen to the sons of Zadok. You know... I'm really enjoying everything you, you've been saying, <laughs> Dr. Oliver. So people are like, is Dan DeVall still there? Yeah, I'm still here, folks. I, man, I, I just wanted to chime in for a minute here because of what you uh, just brought up, this this point that you were making about what the, uh, the, the prophets and the priests were doing. And, you know, th this one drives me kind of, nuts because one of the things I've witnessed Dr. Oliver is that um, powerless leaders uh, that are doing what they do for other reasons maybe alternative agendas besides the the, the establishment of the will of God right um, yes they will do this thing where they will keep people strung along they'll string people along and, and when people seek out help, genuine equipping or empowering to overcome what's hindering them or anchoring them to the, the bondage and sin that they are uh, committing and they get these wet noodle prayers or just um, nothing, hay and stubble, no power, 
And so the powerless leaders perpetuate powerlessness in those whom they lead, and everything continues in a direction that is very negative. Right. And it's sad. It is sad. It's sad to see what's preached on Sabbath days here on Sundays. It's it's sad to see the depth of, of deceit that's going on among the congregations. It is really sad because the, before long, Jeremiah is going to pass, look to the, the shepherds, the pastors, and he's going to say, I blame everything, everything that has come against this nation, he's going to say eventually. Everything that has come against Israel, everything that has come against the southern kingdom of Judah, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city, the burning of all of the houses of the people, I blame all of it on the priest, the prophet, and the pastors. Mm. You are rejected silver, he said. They're called rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. You know, Jeremiah was told, you stand at the gate. Now, the gates of the city were a prominent place. Only the very informed and the philosophic and the religious leaders could really address the people and be allowed to do so. But he told him, this is the word that you came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and forever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Now, how long would that take for you to say that in the congregation? If you had a thousand people today, and that's all they could say, they took that message to the congregation, stood in the doors of the prominent churches and the mega churches, and pronounced that word. How long would it be before the folks in the red coats would come and take you away and press charges? So much so was the anger against Jeremiah that the Lord told him in the next chapter, do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea for them do not plead with me in their behalf. I will not listen to you. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Before amazing. long, we're going, to, we're going to see there's a guy named Pasher. And Pasher came up. He was a high priest, chief priest. And he came against Jeremiah because Jeremiah was, you know, saying things in the congregation. He was saying things that weren't sanctioned. I mean, these weren't approved by the committee. I mean, these things were from God. And, and God enabled and gave Jeremiah the power to say them and the wherewithal and the resistance and the resilience to stand and preach them. But not many men had the courage to do that in the face of being thrown in prison or being taken out. You know, this is what 
This is what bothers me today is the assassination constructs that are being brought in political scenes and also in spiritual scenes. Spiritual assassination is going on. Wow, I look at it and I think to myself, dear Lord, where are we going with it? Jeremiah was told, well, Jeremiah, I'm going to give you the a pen with an iron point of a diamond, and I'm going to tell you to write, and you write it on the rock-hard surface of these people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How hard-headed can you get? If they couldn't find a man... And if the word of God is offensive, and it was, because he said it beforehand, he said this this word offends everybody. Well, we're in a day of offense, are we not? Everything offends everybody. But you're rejected silver, and I'm going to do to you what I did in Shiloh. Well, it doesn't take long. In the book Sons of Zadok that I wrote, I talked about Shiloh extensively. Shiloh was the get-down time with God's people. They were led by the high priest, Eli, into a battle they were not told to go into against the Philistines. And in that battle went two sons of, of, of the high priest, Eli. And God had told by a prophet to Eli to correct those boys. They're sleeping with the women in the church, and they're taking more than the tithe. They're raising offerings out of the people and skinning them. They're doing everything they can to obliterate my presence out of the midst of them. And you're not saying anything to him, and you're their dad. Well, he gave a little talk to him at one point, but he didn't do much. So here he is sitting in a prominent mountainside looking out over the battle, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, the most precious thing out of the tabernacle of the Lord, with the permission of Eli, thinking the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. This is where God gave the budding rod and this is where the manna was and this is where the Ten Commandments are and this is God in our midst. He'll be with us in the battle. We can't lose a battle with God in our midst. Well, here's what happened. First of all, Hophni and Phinehas, his two sons, were killed in battle. Then Hophni's son, uh, Phinehas' son, uh, his wife gave, gave birth to a son by the name of Ichabod. Uh, the curse was upon them. The, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen along with the precious things that were therein. And Eli, when he saw it all, died of a heart attack. You talk about judgment. God said, I'm going to do in Jerusalem what I did in Shiloh. That message ought to have been sobering enough, but it wasn't. To a spiritually uncircumcised people, they wouldn't hear it. They determined in their mind, we will not, that is their will, the national will, we will not do what Jeremiah said. How is that for results? So many preachers say, well, I had good results. You know, so many joined the church, so many had rededication, so many had, you know, baptized in the Spirit, so many people born again. Jeremiah had no converts. Wherever he preached, they were told him to leave. His message was unappreciated. But yet Jeremiah cries out, Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead whereby we must be saved? Is there no physician 
is there no place for healing for the wounds of my people? You see, since the message of God was strained through the heart of the prophet, it takes its toll on the inner man of the Spirit. Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet not because he was weak, but because the core of his being hurt for the conditions he saw around him. And he was, he was not detached and elusive. He was not like some prelate publishing a document or a dispensation or a penance. He stood as the man of God who viewed the people as God of those who were been duped and led astray. A flock that was undone. You see, the true prophet cannot stand detached. He can't just give emails and publish edicts and distribute texts. Prophecy is more than a detached visionary insight. It draws upon the man or the woman of God in such a way as to carry them into the fray of things where he or she experiences the stream of the Word of God as it gushes into the human heart. No true prophet can stand aside and review the scene and just be a disparate chronicler. The soul of the prophet is attached to the very being of God. And from him or her comes purity unparalleled. Amen. Unparalleled in his own society. With the prophet, there's no lag in time. The prophet's badge is expediency with profundity. They carry the message from God in the same cloak that Paul brought his message. It was an oracle. And he cried out, Jeremiah cried out to his Lord, Oh, my, my head were a spring of water and my eyes were a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Oh, that I were in a desert place, in a lodge of place for travelers, so that I might not, I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers and a crowd of unfaithful people. I will weep, Lord, and I'll wail for the mountains and take up a lament concerning the desert pasture. They are desolate and untraveled, and the lowing cattle is not heard. The bird of the air fled. The animal is gone. In other words, nature has had better sense than the people that I've been around, dear Lord. Let me preach to the mountains. Let me talk to the birds. For my people go from one sin to another. Chapter 9, verse 3. They do not acknowledge me, declares the Lord. With my mouth, with his mouth, each one speaks cordially to his neighbor. But in his heart, he sets a trap for him. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? <laughs> yep. We've got a government now that says, turn your neighbor in. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, 
that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. But the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. And then he begins to list Egypt and Judah, where Jerusalem is, and Edom and Ammon and Moab and those who live in the Arab desert places, all of the Arabs, for all the nations that are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in their heart. I asked the people, who's preached about the circumcision of the heart lately? The uncircumcised heart is rampant among those of the church. Flesh still dominates and stubbornness is everywhere. Pride still rules and the knife lays abandoned beside the altar. Notice the list of nations included Judah, the chosen of God. Notice the others are the enemies of Judah. How sad to be numbered among the enemies of God. How sad to be called the people of God one day and the next day hear you are not my people anymore. Well, Jeremiah preached to a dull-hearted people. <laughs> he said they were idol worshipers, and in society they supported the things that were stupid. And the reason for their stupidity is that they listened to the shepherds that were set above them, and the shepherds let them down. Now, who are these shepherds? These are the pastors. These are the people who are over the flocks of God and command over the tribes of Israel. I go through a great deal in this book to explain who people are and what's going on. But I want to read you a passage from Jeremiah 10, verse 11. This you shall say to them, The gods have not made the heavens, and the, er and the earth will so they shall perish from the earth and from the under the heavens. God makes a pledge. He said, just as sure as I'm going to cause you to be captured, you can be sure of this. Before it's all over, every one of the false gods that operate in this world, apart from me and outside of the, my, my, my godship, will perish from the face of the earth and from the heavens. Well, there goes your interfaith opportunities, folks. <laughs> There goes your little church program that says let's all cooperate. There, there goes the Baptist, Methodist, and the Protestants under the Islamics. There goes the, there goes the folks who worship Hindu gods and fall before Buddha. There they all go, folks. If you want a verse that says it, it says it in Jeremiah 10, verse 11. Count on it as written in the Word of God. They are futile, these idols and false religion. They work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance and the Lord God of his name. And we are the Israel of God. I am the Israel of God. Jandal Duval is the Israel of God. We've been circumcised of heart, and we know him. In that same next chapter, chapter 11, 
The Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They've turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers, who refused to hear my word. And they've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with them with their father Abraham. Is this not the point of failure among congregations today? Could we not go forth and cry out in the halls and down the aisles, traitors, traitors, full of traitors? How dare they begin with the blessing of God and with dedicated followers who say, we have a connection. Give your witness to the world saying, we follow God. Yet over time, they develop unlawful alliances. They do not consult God at all. They do not seek His will. Instead, they make their own plans, develop their own strategies, work their own designs, participate in alliances and allegiances that do not honor God, all the while asking Him, look down on us and bless us. Alas, with stubborn, stubborn self-will comes the curse, not the blessing. I call it the Jeremiah curse because he brought it down upon them. Not it, was, it didn't originate from him. It originated from the God that he served. Because in Jeremiah 11, 11, God said, Behold, I will surely bring down calamity on them of which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen. The greatest need we have right now, Daniel, is for an open heaven a place where we can go and, and honor God and there be a portal open before us, before the very throne of grace. And we have that available to us. We still have that. But having begun as the beloved, having been described as the green olive tree bearing much fruit, Israel had denigrated to a branch burned and broken, a mess rather than a display of God's best. Jeremiah 11:20. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, you test the mind and the heart. Let me see your vengeance on them, for to you have I, I reveal my cause. In other words, he's saying, I, I tell you, Lord, let it be done, just like you said it. Let it be done. Ministry must be ready to say what the Lord says, to say where He wants it said, to declare it as He wants it declared. Their heads are in their hands, and their life depends on His righteous judgment. He will deliver the vengeance, for catastrophe will come upon those who oppress the man or woman of God, and they will live to see it. Jeremiah did. You know, there's one or two places in here where he actually brings down a curse. He said, let your vengeance come upon them in such a way as to destroy their home, their life, and bring them to death. And God said, okay, all right by me. They bring it on themselves. You said it, I'll do it. Now today, Daniel, we'd be castigated beyond words to say something like that. How dare you not operate in love? How dare you not come in the force of love, everything done in the name of love. Well, Dr. Oliver, can I, can I uh, suggest that love has been sissified? 
Yes, sir. Just, just our perception sometimes of love it is very skewed for a number of reasons. Because the, the, the reality, and this is the deeper I go with God, the more I am able to connect with how a God who is love speaks these words. Amen. He was he is a God of love because he loved his people enough not to let it keep on going. Mm. There has to be a stop. You know, Jeremiah 12, 4 says it better than I can. How long will the land mourn? You know, we talk about the things that are happening, earthquakes and famines and drought and over in the case of Houston where I live poured out too much rain so that everything overflowed people drowned how long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither and the beast and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said we will not see our final end we will not stop doing what we have done and then God gives an accelerator push to old, good old Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, you think you've been seeing the fast track, but you've been walking with the footman. Now I'm going to speed things up and let you run with the horseman. <laughs> I love that passage. Mm -hmm. For I've forsaken my house and I've left my heritage, and I've given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of their enemy. Now that was a fact. God was calling that which was not as though it were. It was already a done deal when Je Jeremiah spoke it. Many rulers, many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They've trodden down my portion underfoot, and they've made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. Recently, I was conversing with a major evangelist who confided to me about the psychological data that he used in raising money. He said, well, giving falls into a lot of motivational categories. Some people are motivated by the sight of little children, others by romantic love or some success program. There are many of these kinds of venues, but the folks who are really after big money test their constituents, their partners, by writing or speaking along some line of the predetermined line of one of these uh, programs and then watching to see how it brings in the most offerings, which program brings in the most, which brings in the least. My conversation with that evangelist was not long, Daniel. Hmm. The Lord told Jeremiah, bury a sash. Go to the river Euphrates and take that sash the, like the linens that were worn in the active duty of the temple. When the prophet must wear a sash, do not wash it. And after a given period of time, I'll tell you to take that sash and bury it in a hole in the ground near a rock in the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates was the borderline between Israel and Babylon. And the Tigris-Euphrates River in there was that kind of no-man's land where Abraham had come from. After a period of time, he instructed him to go and retrieve that sash and to report its condition. So he went immediately and he pulled that sash out of that riverbed where that, where that rock was. 
And this is what was given to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, thus saith the Lord. In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Just like that sash. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, for glory, for they shall not, they would not hear. This is what I would have done. I would have had them cling to me like a sash, but they brought evil and dirt and caused themselves to be worthless. My, what could we compare today's church to be? You could have been the glorious church, but look what has happened. Notice the extent to which the drunkenness that Jeremiah was supposed to give Oh, yeah, you say, well, what do you mean drunkenness? Yeah, it was told to go and, and to give the inhabitants their fill. Let the inhabitants of Jerusalem be filled with drunkenness. And he observed them, the things they do based on their drunkenness. They're bound to be drunk. They allow everything in the world to happen and still be a church member. They're bound to be drunk because they're not on guard for anything. Everything comes in unnoticed. They're bound to be drunk because, you know, no one could be that uh, unresponsible for their actions. They're bound to be drunk because they're being incapable of battling an enemy. Their hedonism is heated up their lives. Their eat, drink, and be merry has come to the day that it is tomorrow. Jeremiah 14, O Lord, do our iniquities testify against us? Do it for your name's sake and for our backsliding, our many. We have sinned against you. See, Jeremiah is starting to pour out his heart now and give a confession. He said, the people won't confess, I'll confess, Lord. I'll confess for them. Let me confess for them. Let me give a, let me give a prayer, Lord, and I'll admit to everything. Our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. Oh, you're the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in your land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. We have loved to wander. We have not restrained our feet. That's why God does not accept us. He'll remember your iniquity now and punish your sins. God told him again, do not pray for this people, for their good. Don't offer such a prayer as you just offered. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, the three horsemen. Dan, those mm -hmm. three horsemen are just on the horizon. 
They're on the horizon of the world, not just this country, of the world. People can leave this country and go to other places. They can just find to do it because the day's coming when the, the famine and the pestilence and the sword are at everybody's doorstep. But yet, the prophets, prophets prophesied lies in God's name. Jeremiah 14, he said, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. I have not sent them. I have not commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesied to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, the deceit of their own heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning those prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine these prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the street of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they will have no one to bury them, them, nor their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters. For I will pour out their wickedness on them and spare none. How's that? For... For if Jeremiah, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me on behalf of the people, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Don't cast your pearls before swine, in other words. Wow. You see, they put Jeremiah in iron chains. And the man who put him there was King Zedekiah. He had the power of life and death over Jeremiah. At least he didn't kill him. But he put him in iron chains. And I thought it ironic, Duval, that when Nebuchadnezzar came, he put Zedekiah in bronze chains. Mm. They were still chains. When they, <laughs> they, they took off the iron chains and you put the bronze chains on the king. They took away Jeremiah's integration, living in a dungeon, and exalted him, and took Zedekiah and brought him into Babylon in front of his two sons, and he watched them being beheaded. And then they took searing irons and put his eyes out, so that the last thing he remembered was his two sons being beheaded. See, at the last minute, he pled before God that he wouldn't die. And God said, okay, I'll find. I'll let you live. I'll let you even be buried in the land because you're going to the place you said you weren't. And you're going to the people you said wouldn't conquer you. And you're going exactly like Jeremiah said, which you told the people not to listen to. What are our leaders saying today? Don't listen to some people. Don't listen to these people. Don't listen to that person. <laughs> Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. If you return, then I will bring you back, and you shall stand before me if you take out the precious from the vile. In other words, if you start changing and making the unholy out of the taking the unholy out of the holy and leaving the holy and the precious and teaching people the difference, you shall be as my mouth. 
and let them return to you, and you shall not, and you and you must not return to them. For I'll make you, Jeremiah, to this people, a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you, but they won't prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. I'll redeem you from the grip of the terrible. And God did just that, even in the conquering times. I tell you what, it's better to be the man of God speaking the unpleasant truth of God than it is to be favored by the people. To have a big offering. To have thousands in your congregation. To be acculturated with those who are of God rather than accepted by those who are not. Now I'm going to do some skipping. I'm going to play funny and do some skipping. And I, I need to look at I need to look at the various things. You know, like a buried sash and all the things. There was a guy named Pasture, Pasture. And in my book on page 99, I talk about him. And I just want to spend a minute with Pasture because he's such an example. <laughs> I got to think of, you know, there's some funny things go on in the Scripture. When, and I point them all out. In other words, God said, I'll beat you like a drum for the choices you've made and the things you've done in your houses. I thought that was interesting. I'll beat you like a drum. Yeah, that's, that, that is kind of funny language. Yeah. Because you just take yeah. a stick and you hit a drum head over and over and over. Oh, it's a clobbering. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> well, the chief priest got involved. He, he heard the message that Jeremiah was speaking in the gates of the temple, you see. And that wasn't a good one. It's the same thing Jesus ran into when he began preaching in the temple. As long as he was a little boy, 12, it sounded pretty good. They wanted him. But when he became a man and he began to preach and talk, tell them they were white and sepulchers full of dead men's bones, that message didn't go over very good. Neither will it go over in the congregations today, believe me. But old Pasher, he was the chief priest, and he heard the messages, and he, he sent for old Jeremiah, and he told him, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to smack him in the face, and I'm going to put him in the prison of the temple. And that's what he did. He brought Jeremiah in front of him. He said, I've heard what you've been saying, and I'm the chief priest, and I've got power over you. Stand there. You guard, smack him in the face. And he smacked him in the face several times. Put him in the prison. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord has come to me. The Lord has not called your name, Pasher, but Magor Misabib. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of, your, of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it, Pasher. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city all its produce, all its precious things, all the treasures of the king of Judah. I will give it to the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you will die and be buried there, and you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. Magor Mishabib, one who shrinks in fear before the mighty God. 
Now you can smack him in the face if you want to. God gave him that message before he went to the dungeon. And that message came true, brutally true. And God has the right to change some names. He changed the name of Abram to Abraham, of Jacob to Israel. What will He change the name of America from if we continue down the path, the road to captivity? We're on that road, brother. Because government and organized religion are together in one thing, keeping the people where they want them. And yet poor Jeremiah says, I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Well, I skip down through them until he writes out in verse 20. See, he wrote a book in the and God told him to write a book of all the prophecies he gave him. And in the 20th chapter of, his, of Jeremiah, he said, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. If Passover was to see the things of evil come to pass, Jeremiah wanted to see vengeance on those who condemned him. He had a right to ask for it. So in the 12th, 20th chapter, 12th verse, he said, Let me see your vengeance on them. For I have pleaded my cause before you, O Lord. And then he breaks out in song. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoer. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you. But I tell you, you're going to stay that way. Couldn't stay that way. He decided about that time that he wasn't going to preach anymore. And yet the fire of God was on the inside of him so heavy that it was like the fire that couldn't be put out. And he said, I, I burn within. I must speak the word of our Lord. And he goes on to give illustrations to the people further on, even after he got back out of prison. He said Israel is like two fig baskets. Got figs and bad figs in one of them and good figs in the other one. And God knows that there's a... You choose which fig basket you're going to be a part of. The one I'm talking about or the one your leaders tell you about. Oh, I think it's time to divide, Brother Duval. I think it's time for the, the plumb line to fall. I think it's time to draw a, side, a, a line in the sand and say he is on the Lord's side, come over here. As far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In chapter 7 of my book, which was the real chapter of, of 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 20, 21, all that way down in the, further down into Jeremiah, mm -hmm. God changes from, a, you know, you've done this type thing to a know me type God. He said, if you'll just learn to know me, I'll lead you out of this. <laughs> Even though you may be called into captivity, I'll be with you. And he was. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was with Daniel, your namesake. <laughs> he was with Ezekiel. And he was with Jeremiah. And God told him, if you'll just be faithful to me, do what I tell you to do, I'll make you know, the, the world will know that you know me. It's a criteria. And they did know him.
I tell you, those those uh, children of the Lord, they threw open the sash door and prayed in spite of all of what the king said, because they knew what the king said didn't make any difference. They'd seen that working in their own country, that what the king said didn't make any difference. What Jeremiah said made all the difference in the world. And they had Jeremiah's book to look at. <laughs> Praise <laughs> God for it. Now, there's a funny thing that God tells Jeremiah to do, and it's on my page 176. You can see we're flying along now a little bit as we kind of get the tenor of how things are going. God told him to write a book and to realize that the time of Jacob's trouble was with them. But to go beyond one other thing, he was in prison during this time, by the way. These are the last days before the capture came true for all the rest. And while he was in prison, the Lord told him to go buy some real estate. There was some real estate that his relatives didn't claim. And the reason they didn't claim it, he knew why they didn't claim it, because there was a battle going on on that land. I mean, they couldn't go over there and take deed to that property. So he said, all right, write me up a deed. And everything we do in modern real estate was done by the people who were serving him at that time. They wrote up a deed, put it in writing. They had testimony of his signature. And they deposited it with a responsible person to wait for a time that they, would, they could go and claim it. So Jeremiah said, there'll come a time when I can take hold of that land. It'd be my land. And I, and I don't own any land right now, but I'll have a piece of land that I can stand on. And on that piece of land, I can say, this is holy ground. And I can stand on that piece of property and say, this is where God dwells. And I can say to the people who come onto that land, listen, you're on holy place now. You, you act different and walk different because you're amongst God's people. I like that kind of real estate buying, don't you? Oh, yes. Mm. But then God told him some stra a strange other thing. Over on page 210 of my book, I show the irony of this thing. God wants an illustration going. And he uses a group called the Rechabites. And I just love the Rechabites. You know why I love them? Because they stood with what God wanted them to do. The Rechabites had told their father when he made them pledge that they would drink no wine that they would never allow wine to reach their lips. So they said, Rechab, our father, we, we honor him, and the generations have gone by, and none of our generation have ever broken that oath. So God says, call the Rechabites and ask them to a wine supper. And Jeremiah said, w what are you talking about? No, you tell them, the leaders of the Rechabites, that I said to come, God said, come to a wine supper at the temple in one of the apartments of one of the finest men in the temple. You choose that one, uh, Jeremiah, whichever you one think is the most pure man in the service of the temple. Go to his apartment, set up a wine banquet for all of the Rechabites, and invite every one of them and tell them, tell them that God said for them to come, and I'll put it in their heart to come. Well, the Rechabites got there, and guess what happened, Dan? They said, you can do whatever you want to with this banquet. We aren't letting one drop of wine touch our lips. We're faithful to our Father. 
Oh, God said, look at them. Look at them. Look at them. What an example. Go out and tell the world that. Go out and tell the high priest and the king and the prophets. Go tell them. Call a meeting of the ministerial alliance and the, and the federal government and tell them there's a group of people down here and tell them what you did and tell them that even, even though they knew God drew them there, even though they knew the prophet of God was right in doing what he said to do under God's hand, they still wouldn't touch the wine. And yet they promised, tell them that the high priest has promised to keep the things of God and the government, the constitution of God, and neither one of them have kept their vow. They've done nothing but imbibe, imbibe, and imbibe, and have been drunkard ones at that. Boy, that's a good message. Don't you know that he loved that? Hmm. Don't you know that he didn't have a hard time saying, let me tell you all something that just happened. (laughs) 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 Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them because you have spoken, I have spoken to them, and they have not heard, I have called them, and they have not answered. They become the gibberishites, and that's what the church has become. Our pulpits are filled with the gibberishites. Now, can you define what a gibberishite is? I... <laughs> that's a word that I clone, brother. Uh, <laughs> and it's in my book on page 214. Uh-huh. And it's because Jeremiah spoke, Jeremiah 35, 17, was spoken to the social elite the religious hierarchy, the priests, the church leadership, as well as to the common man. And they were hearing him because he wasn't a part of the gibberishites that they were used to listening to. You see, it's who you listen to. We've got to have a day of discernment. That's why in the prison, God told Jeremiah, write a book. He said, how can I write a book, God? I don't would there be a scroll? How can I remember everything you've told me in 26 years of, of dictation? Bring in Baruch. So Baruch stood on the day of fasting. What a wonderful day it was. And delivered a book written by him as a scribe. And that book of Jeremiah is what we hold in our hands. That's why it's so powerful. And the scribes summoned Baruch, for Jeremiah was confined. And they said, what's in that book? Now it happened when they had heard all the words that were in the book. In other words, all of the chapters, <laughs> the chapters, the 52 chapters of Jeremiah, when they heard, let all preach, that's what I'm preaching today. Mm-hmm. They looked in fear from one another. And they said, Baruch, we think we ought to bring this to the king. And they said, Baruch, tell us now, how did you write all these words? Did you write them at his instruction? Baruch said, he proclaimed with his mouth the words to me, and I wrote them down in this book, with, it, with ink in this book. Then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide yourself, you and Jeremiah. Try to get him out of prison and let him know 
let no one know where you are. These leaders who had an ear to the king were fearful at what they heard, but they brought they brought the book, and they told a man, Jehudi, Jehudi, you bring the book to the king, and you read him what Baruch said to us. Now, you got to remember this, that 26 years before, when he was, when Jeremiah was speaking to the king of Israel and he wasn't listening, and when the king of Israel, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim rejected the word of Jeremiah, Zedekiah, who was king now of Judah, was there and rejected it along with him. Now the king's going to hear a word written by Jeremiah, brought by Baruch, the priest, who was a scribe. And Jehudi's going to read it to him because Jer- the princes of Israel think that they wouldn't be safe doing it himself. Now, I know that Jeremiah and Baruch both would have stood in front of the king and spoke it just like he gave it. These princes didn't tear their garment, though. They didn't fall in the floor weeping. So Jehudi did not have the anointing of God. He did not have he did not have the prayer life of a Jeremiah. He wasn't a Baruch, the right hand man associated with Jeremiah. Therefore saith the Lord. Well, I'm gonna give you before that. In Jeremiah the thirty sixth chapter, it happened when Jehuda had read only three or four columns of that prophecy that the king cut it with a scribe's knife and threw it into the fire of the hearth until the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Well, I just want to let our people know that that wasn't the only copy. (laughs) 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 God said, take that other copy and throw it in the Euphrates River when you are free. And it will be a witness against Babylon and against the people of Israel that had been captured because my word will be on that word and that word is buried today somewhere in the river Euphrates. There is a scroll penned by the prophet. Because you see, Iran came against is uh, against uh, Babylon at that time. And the prince of Persia overcame them and whipped the living daylights out of those who captured Israel and released them and let them go back to rebuild their temple and their wall. Right. God's word said that before it was done and it was prophesied in the Jeremiah and it was prophesied during the time of the road to captivity. Now the people were conquered. And they did burn the Word of God. And you can burn the Word. You can. You can destroy the messenger. But that doesn't do anything for what's there. It was spoken by God. And it will be done just like he said it would. Now I'm going to skip all the way down to what I call post-capture. They've carried off everybody and killed everybody they have. And they've burned the city of Jerusalem. And that's what the cover is on the front cover of the road to captivity. I have a picture, a, a, 
artist drawing of the burning of the temple and the burning of Jerusalem and the carrying away of the people into slavery into Babylon. I've got pictured there the, the guards of the Babylonians in the gear in which the Babylonians wore at that time and the spears and arrows that they had, bows and arrows that they had for weaponry. And they burned that city and the people who were the remnant gathered together as a group and decided they were going down to Egypt because that was, must be the only place that was safe. And God came through them after Gedaliah was murdered. That's in chapter 10 of my book. God told them, don't go in, go, no, go into Egypt, but keep all that I tell you to do, and I'll make you safe in your own land. But what do they do? The guy that wanted to go to Egypt killed Gedaliah, who had been set over them. And the women themselves testified, we will not listen to the word of Jeremiah. We will go to Egypt. So they went to Egypt. And Jeremiah told them, God's got one more illustration for you. That is some tiles he wants me to lay on the, on the floor. He said, what do you mean tiles? He said, well, you see this big gathering place in Tophis. This is the place where the kings resorted in, in Egypt. This is their kind of summer home. This is the place where they all congregated. So they're all down there now, and they, they've got their passport. They've gotten into Egypt, and the people know why they're there. And God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, take some of these tiles that you see laying around and complete that big open area like a parade court. And you take that parade court and tell them this is where the armies of God are going to come and you're just building a great big shoulder around it because you want it expanded so that it fully will encompass everything that's here now so what Jeremiah was doing was actually laying tile like a huge tile parenthesis around those people and he said you're going to die here you got one choice you can go back into the country with me and God will take care of you or you'll die, every last one of you, in this current, in this country. Now, I'm not going to read all of their responses. It's terrible what they wrote. But they had the same heart they had when Jerusalem was captured. And you know it's hard to change the heart of the national mind. About the only way you can do it is just kill everybody off and start all over again. And that's what God did. That's basically what he did. And if that's what America wants to do, then that's what it'll be done. We have the choice. We stand at the threshold. The book has been read. The chapters are before us. Everybody has a Bible. You'll know exactly how to, and if I misinterpreted it, you'll know it. But I haven't misinterpreted it. I've read it in the power and the strength of that word. There is a time, there is a time when people worship in the wrong places. There is a time when you listen to the wrong people. And now is the greatest time we have in America to listen to the voice of God only. And it will be up to us to discern who is that voice in these times. Well, what happened? Historically, Babylon looked down at Egypt. They were frightened of Egypt before. But now they were conquered under the hand of God, the known world. The ancient world belonged to them, all except Egypt. And so Nebuchadnezzar gave the word. 
invade Egypt, kill everybody in sight that looks like a Judaite. And the sad story was those that had escaped the captivity met their doom at their own words. In Revelation 11, verse 7 to 10, these, these words, When they finish their testimony, the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit and will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. That's the two prophets. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And I want to tell you that city is named Jerusalem. And that's what he's talking about where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people, the tribes, the tongues, and nations, that's everybody, will see those dead bodies for three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice that they're dead and make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them who dwell on the earth. So there are going to be some prophets here, folks. And the world will rejoice that they don't listen to them. But those prophets are going to be resurrected. That's the end of the story. And fire will come out of their eyes and out of their mouth. And they will stand before the people as a sovereign God over a world that's his. And he'll bring Jerusalem down over the Jerusalem, and he shall reign in this world forever and ever. Now, the road to captivity can be a hard road for people that won't listen to God. And that's the essence of it all. And I'm before you today, Daniel, saying we have a choice. There's a river, there's a book in the river, and it's not wrong. God bless those who hear this message and take it to heart. Those who buy the book understand it is a sovereign book for this day. If I were going to say there was one book besides the Bible that needs to be said and needs to be in the hands of every person, it's this book, not because I wrote it. <laughs> because of God who gave it. I bow before him who is sovereign and who is my Lord. Thank you, brother. Before we close this program, Dr. Oliver, I want to ask you to do me a favor and pray a blessing. Pray a word over those that hear this program. Father, I come to you like Jeremiah came centuries ago. And I admit that we have backslidden. And I admit we have resisted your word and not been listening to your voice and occupied by our own things and our own agenda. But Lord, let us not be like they who missed that captivity at the end. Let us not gather in Israel as a group and say, well, we've missed that judgment. 
And they said, whatever, Jeremiah, you go to the Lord and ask God what he wants done. And whatever he has said, we will do it. That's in there. That's in Jeremiah, the last chapters. And Lord, you put it there because people are always saying we'll do what God tells us to do if the true prophet will just tell us. And, Je and Lord, you sent Jeremiah to tell them. And he did tell them not go into Egypt. And they went anyway. And Lord, there be those that listen to this broadcast that will not hear the real word. But you have hidden it from them that their ears be closed and their eyes be closed. But Lord, there's a group that will hear. And they will know that that uncompromised word has been spoken. Their eyes will see differently than they've ever seen before. And their ears will hear differently than they've ever heard before. And Lord, it is to them that we bless. Vengeance on those that know not God and obey not His gospel. But blessing be upon those who hear His words and do them. Whose heart is open toward you. Who, like Jeremiah said, if our eyes were rivers of water, we would weep for our people. May the pulpits of America see the weeping prophets. May those that are real and true stand before their people and honestly confess. May there be a, uh, an opening, O oh God, within this nation of revival that cannot be stopped by man. Let the words of your mouth and the meditations of our heart be met together so that they are one. So that, Lord, there's no difference between the people and you. So that you can say, I bring you as a sash around my waist. You're as close to me as that. And, Lord, may we not be like the flasks broken in the potter's tile. Lord, may we be not like those who are of pasture. who has a name changed and wrought power down upon him. But Lord, we ask you to bring vengeance on them that know not God. And you said in Thessalonians, you would, when you came, you would do that. And we ask you, Lord, to do that. Whatever it takes, Father, for a nation of people to hear your word, let it be done from this day forward. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, folks, like I said, Dr. C.R. Oliver, amazing man of God. I just want to say thank you, Dr. Oliver, for everything that you have shared, for your words, for your wisdom, for your prayer. Folks, if you want to grab this book, The Road to Captivity, just visit him at zadicpublications.com. Brother Oliver, Daniel, I, I, want to, I want to say that I don't take any money for writing any of these books. We take the money and we bring them to mission fields as closely as we can. Go ahead, brother. Thank mm. you for saying what you do. Well, folks, that's all we got for this week. We are out of time. Brother Oliver, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And you. you, 
will have the opportunity to see him speak in the coming months at the Fireplace Church. .org. Look forward to that. Amen. Folks, until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.